Good morning, Browncroft. You've heard it said that I don't get mad, I get even. But God says revenge is mine. You have heard it said that revenge is a dish best served cold. But God says see to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good. Alfred Hitchcock said that revenge is sweet and not fattening. But God says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In the video, we see a father wanting both vengeance and justice. As the father stands in the courtroom, which will decide the fate of a perpetrator who has committed heinous acts against his daughter and against others, he, asked, he first asks the judge for permission, and then he tries to take matters into his own hands. Today, as I talk to you about one of the most difficult and challenging aspects of getting the life that you've always wanted, I must acknowledge that I've seen this video several times, and every time I see it, something buried within me, but not deep enough, wants him to move a little faster. <laughs> wants him to jump a little further, to be a little stronger. Something buried deep, but not deep enough, just wishes. This video reminds me of a video I saw when I was a kid, and there was this guy who had his hands around this guy's neck, and as the police were pulling him off, the camera zoomed in, and you can see his eyes were glazed over, and he said, I only wanted to kill him. As if to say that vengeance was just a fingertip Away. All I wanted was a little vengeance. But as my old man, my old nature resurfaces and tries to root for vengeance, the word of God reorients me and leads me away from this destructive path. The words of God remind me that vengeance belongs to him, and he will repay better than I ever could. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, remind us of how we should behave when there's challenges to the life that we've always wanted. Would you join with me to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to start at verse 38, and we'll read together. Matthew 5, verse 38, starting at verse 38, you have heard it said that Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you for their shirt and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile with them, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father is perfect. The message this morning is entitled, Real Love. Real love. And I'd ask that you pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for allowing us to gather into your house and to hear a word from you. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move across this congregation even right now and move into even those darkest and deepest grudges that we hold, the things that have prevented us from being truly loving and to be truly open to your leading. Lord, we pray that right now you would bless us to be able to hear from you and to move forward in your power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The last part of chapter 5 reminds us of how challenging the life we've always wanted can be. Of course, there will be disappointments, there'll be misunderstandings, there'll be disagreements and conflicts that we have. Those things are a part of life. But there will also be people who want to hurt us, who want to take advantage of us. Some of those actions will be on purpose, and some of them will be by accident. While pursuing the life that you've always wanted, there will be people with, extreme that, with whom you have extreme disagreements with over politics, over personality, over religion. There will be people who you will consider an enemy. And they will be people who would consider you an enemy. I want you to do something for me. Put, put your hand up and keep it up. If you have ever been criticized unfairly, if you've ever lost friends or family over a disagreement, if you've ever had a fight, a disagreement, or an incident that has changed how you interact with that person, keep your hands up. I want you to look around. Look around. I want you, and we can put your hands down. I want you to see how common this is. Unfortunately, this is common for Christians and non-Christians. But what is not so common is Jesus' instructions for how we should handle these situations. In fact, what he suggests is different. It's quite radical, in fact. For us, the way we respond is radical. The way we resist is radical. And the way we relate to those who we would consider enemies is radical. My first point is this. We must radically respond to an offense. As Jesus continues to share his message, he quotes Old Testament scriptures 
which speak to how civil authorities were to address interpersonal offenses. The law of Talion suggests that an offense required an equal response in terms of punishment and compensation. The system of justice would take the responsibility for punishment out of the hands of those who were victimized, and instead, civil authorities would decide and determine an equal punishment for an offense. The fear was that if left in the hands of the victim, the response could exceed the crime. So in other words, if someone killed your goat, you might want from them three or four of their goats. A tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye, and even a life for a life was put in place as a means of regulating the degree of punishment and compensation that the victim could receive. On his face, this seems fair. But Jesus comes and turns the whole idea on his head. He suggests a more radical response. He suggests that the offended individual should neither seek retaliation or retribution. This is radical. This is unheard of, undesired, and seemingly impossible. In that day, this would be unthinkable. They would say, wait a minute, Jesus. Not only are you asking me to not seek revenge, but you're asking me to give up my right to what is legally due to me. I can hear some of you saying the same things. Like you, I really wrestled with this. But here's what I hear the Lord saying. We don't respond to offenses the way we might first be tempted. We don't respond with revenge. We respond with love. A lot of times our first response is often driven by the, the desire to retaliate. And sometimes we will go to any extreme. We don't even care what the offender's background or situation is. We may not even care about the consequences to us or the costs to us. All we know is that we just have to get them back. Sometimes we behave like the James Brown song, The Big Payback. He says, I don't know karate, but I know crazy. But we don't respond with crazy. We respond with God's love. We respond with patience. We respond with long-suffering. We respond with forgiving love. Yes, that's radical. I don't believe, I believe Jesus is saying, don't seek justice with malice, with hate, with bitterness in your heart. Seek justice with love in your heart. The love that you have for God first, and then the love that you have for the human being that he created. This love applies to the one who has offended you, whether they did what they did on purpose or whether they did it on accident. This is radical. But I also want to clarify something. I don't believe that Jesus is saying, don't seek justice. I believe that the justice system was put in place for a reason. 
Given the wickedness of some people's hearts, God knows that something needs to be in place in order to establish righteousness. Given the loss that people can experience because of egregious mistakes, God knows that there needs to be something that attempts to make them whole. But ultimately, we seek God's justice first. And we let him lead us towards how we should proceed. In 2008, I was coming back home after dropping my kids off at school. When I was re-ended, rear-ended, had an accident, somebody who was drunk hit the person behind me, and that person hit me. At the scene, I can smell the, the guy's breath, and he was obviously drunk. He was stammering and, and stuttering. Uh, and, uh, and, and his passengers were his teenage daughter and his grandson. The grandson was bleeding from the head, but the daughter seemed to be all right. She was all right. I know she was all right because she cussed him up and down. She called him everything but a child of God. <laughs> anyway, the civic was total. And it turned out that the student was a student, of, or the, the, the uh, teenager was a student of my wife in, at the high school. But I thought to myself, if ever there was a slam dunk case, it was this one. My neck hurt. I was a full-time and poor PhD student, and my car was totaled. I thought long and hard about calling Champagne's version of overly aggressive personal injury attorneys. Before I accepted a quick check, I was going to check with or call 1-800-888-888-888-888. After all, I was hurt in the car. It was time to call William, who, the lawyer whose last name rhymes with Carl. <laughs> I was seeing dollar signs. Plus, I thought to myself, if there's any person who deserves to get their pants sued off of them, it was a drunk driver. But I didn't sue. Laquana and I talked about it, and we both acknowledged that God had been merciful and gracious to us, and we decided that together we would be merciful to them, especially since the student was a student of my wife's. I felt okay about this decision, and ultimately, I don't think I missed out on anything. But you know who didn't show me mercy? The insurance company. <laughs> the adjuster played hardball from start to finish. My point is this. We seek God's justice first. We don't act out of vengeance. We let God lead us first to make the right decision. This is radical, but we should respond radically. We must also resist radically. This is another tough one. Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, give to them your other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give to them your coat. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. He says, if anyone asks you, do not turn them away. And if they ask to borrow from you, give it to them. Jesus' words are rich with the cultural experiences of the day. 
And he uses these examples to emphasize the kind of experiences that could result in an explosive response. The slap was an insult. A slap on the right cheek meant that you probably received the back of somebody's hand. Let's do something for a minute. Let's turn to your person next to you. Put your right cheek out like this. Now take your left hand. No, don't do that. I was just testing to see your ability to resist radically. But Jesus says, if they give you the backhand, let them have the forehand too. For them, the loss of your shirt represents the loss of your security. You were exposed, so to speak. But Jesus says, give them your coat too. Also, Roman soldiers had the right to force citizens to carry their equipment. Being coerced to carry someone else's stuff just because you could was exploitation. And giving to random people who you knew would never pay you back, that was just simply being taken advantage of. So Jesus is saying whether they insult you, expose you, exploit you, or take advantage of you, Jesus is saying don't resist. What do you think about that? Well, Jesus is using hyperbolic language here. That is, he is exaggerating the situation just a little bit. There is a lot more to it than just letting somebody take advantage of you. But I believe with these examples, Jesus is saying, don't resist the responsibility you have to endure, to forbear, to forgive, and to love. But do resist the urge to retaliate or to retreat. The natural response would be to slap them back, to hide your shirt, to throw this stuff back at them, or tell them to get a job. But followers of Jesus don't respond that way. We are to behave as if we are ambassadors in a foreign land. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that we are Christ's ambassadors. We act as though God were making his appeal through us. On Christ's behalf, we implore others to be reconciled to God. This means that sometimes we will enter hostile territory. The message we share will be difficult for some to hear. Sometimes this will make you an easy target for people who don't know anything about God's love, about his peace, about salvation. The way we behave and the things that we do will be strange to some. But to resist this responsibility is to resist the one who sent us. I also need to say this in case you didn't know. Hurt people hurt people. Whether it's on purpose or an accident. Hurt people hurt people. Sometimes they come off as rude or inconsiderate, or sometimes they just behave in just evil ways. They deliberately do things to hurt you. In all cases, we must know who we serve and think about why he's calling us into that situation. Sometimes I see, I see the things that people do, and I wonder, what would make somebody do something like this? 
What would make someone tell another person who is considering suicide that they're a coward if they don't follow through with it? What would make someone put some drugs in somebody's drink when they're not looking? What would make a doctor do weird things during an examination? What would make someone shoot up a school or an office building? The easy answer is that hurt people hurt people, or sick people do sick things. Another answer is that sinful people do sinful things. But before we get all high and mighty and talk about those sinful people, we have to reflect on our own sinfulness. The fact is that if it wasn't for God's grace, some of us would be doing the same things. We could be this sick. We could be this hurt or this sinful. But righteous people, as much as within them, do righteous things. So we have to resist the urge to retaliate or to retreat. And we realize, we must realize that we're on a mission to reach as many as we can with the love of God. This is radical resistance. Yesterday would have been my father's 81st birthday, and he taught me how to fight. He said, you have to put your dukes up. He said, you don't run from a fight. Sparkmans don't run from fights. He would say, you have to stand up for what you believe in, and you have to be able to endure hardship. Browncroft and friends, the real fight for us is not to fight with these, but to fight with this, to fight with our hearts. The real fight is not to retreat from evil and this world's foolishness. The real fight is to stand up for what you believe, to stand up for truth, to stand up for the word of God to stand up for the one who has saved you and blessed you. The real fight is to be on the battlefield for God. That's the real fight. It's easy to put up these. It's not so easy to fight with this. But this is what God is expecting. This is radical. We have to stand up for who we believe, the one who called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. We have to endure, and we must outlast, outlast our enemy, Satan. And we can, because as the last time I said, we already know who wins the war. We fight him on our knees in prayer. We fight him, and we never give up. We fight him in the power of the Holy Spirit. We stand up to Satan and say, not here. I will not allow you to instigate. I will not allow you to raise up my eyes so that I might have revenge. That's the real fight. That's the real fight. Paul says that our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God for the breaking down and the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is radical resistance. 
So real love requires us to respond radically, to resist radically, and to relate to our enemies radically. Verse 43 says this, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Love still drives how we relate to our friend enemies and our enemy enemies. You know the friend enemies that I'm talking about. Those are the folks who you suspect are talking about you behind your back. But when you're face to face with them, they're smiling and grinning with you, saying nice things. Friend enemies. You know what I'm talking about. Some of them go to church with you, but that's all I'll say about that. But love should drive you and tell you how to relate to them, even if you disagree with their theology. Hopefully you can see that we're all on the same team. But love drives how we relate to our enemy enemies as well. And this is radical. Obedience to God's word is what should drive us to do and to show love. Jesus commands us to love and pray for our enemies. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you prayed for Obama? I mean, uh, Trump. I mean, Pelosi. I mean, McConnell. (laughs) When was the last time you prayed for them? It's okay to pray for them and ask God's will to be done in their lives. You don't have to hold a grudge or think that you're disloyal to one party or to another. You're not a traitor if you pray for the other guy or girl, even if that person is wrong. You know why? Because God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, God knows what's going on. Each person will be held accountable for their own actions and intentions. God is not going to miss anything. And what this does is it liberates you. It liberates us. It frees us up. The person to be the person who God is calling for us to be. Listen, God knows who's been naughty or nice. And as hard as it may be, Our job is to love and to pray for our friend enemies, our enemy enemies, and those who are different from us. As Jesus alludes to, only loving those who love you is basic. This is natural. This is is child's play. This is simple stuff. This is based on your similarity to that person or to your preferences but we are to pursue a higher standard of behavior. As I close, I have to admit that I really struggled with this message, partly because of my own experience and feelings that I've experienced as a black man in this country, and my own hurt about those who I would call my brothers and sisters in Christ and why they won't stand up against an evil, a moral evil like racism. 
This has left a bitter taste in my mouth. But I imagine you probably have your own bitter taste. But Jesus is challenging me and he's challenging you to move past the bitterness, move past the hurt, move past the humiliation, move past the insults, move past the history, and show real love. Christ's love for our friend enemies and our enemy enemies. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do it. If we respond radically, if we resist radically, and we relate to others who we would call enemies radically. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you to guide us and to release us from grudges, to release us from things that we want to hold on to that prevent us to having the life that we could have. We ask, God, that as you search our hearts even right now, you would cause us to submit those things to you. Your word reminds us that we can cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. Your word also reminds us that revenge belongs to you. Lord, I ask that as you move through this congregation today, that you would help us to recall that you're in control, that you know exactly what is going on. Help us also to recall the sacrifice that your son Jesus Christ made, knowing that he did nothing wrong, but instead he bore the burdens of our sins because he loved us. Lord, we ask your blessings now. We ask that you would go forward with us, that you would be with us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.